If I'm not here to tell you, what if you were diagnosed with terminal cancer while raising a newborn baby? What if you thought your kid might have to grow up without you? What if you had to grow up without your mom? This is a series for my kid to make sure she is mothered by who I am, my experiences, and the lessons I've learned through my life and my work, whether I'm here with her in the flesh or not. Part biographical, part educational, this is a series on birth and life and death and finding freedom in diving headfirst into the ocean, rain or storm. I'm going to start off this episode a little bit Inception style by beginning with a afterthought from my guest today, Joshua McNabb, sent to me after the recording with a little add-on piece of insight that she thought was important to include as a precursor to our conversation. So first, thank you for today. That was super fun. Oh my God. Uh, and yeah, I hope you get something usable out of it. Um, and secondly, I was sort of thinking about our conversation and thinking like, I think one of the things that we didn't acknowledge that might be useful in some way, I don't know, to like, I don't know, acknowledge in the conversation is that like we're both white middle-class women and we don't have any kind of history of, you know, being black or indigenous or a community that has to prove itself or feels like, you know, parents feel like they have to prove themselves or they just literally, you know, are at risk of having their babies taken away by the state because, you know, they're not meeting some arbitrary milestones or there's like, you know, a, a, a history of, of institutionalization and a history of, you know, racist assumptions about people's ability to parent and to raise their children appropriately. And like, you know, we have the privilege of not living with that and like thinking in thinking about the way that we want our children to be raised and the way that we want to interact with these kinds of institutions. And yeah, I was just thinking about that and wondering if that was worth sort of acknowledging in some way, given kind of some of the themes of the conversation that we were having. Hi, Joshua. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for coming on my new podcast. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, So today we're doing our first episode without Talia, and I'm not fully sure that I'm qualified but she gave me a little pep talk and told me she believes in us and that we can do it we can do it we can do it we're gonna channel our inner Talia that's right um so the part of the reason that I wanted to do this podcast was to share um like insights and learning from my life and my work for my kid as you know And the other piece of it has been wanting her to hear voices of people in my life that are really important to me, that we've learned lessons through life together with. And you and your partner, Sam, are two of those people whose voices I want you to hear. Hmm. Um, So I thought to start off, I'd just introduce, we could just kind of talk a little bit about how we know each other. Um, And I was thinking about today how to introduce you, and I was having all these fond memories of our early days of getting to know each other which was initially through Sam Mm -hmm. um, when she was a doula for a period of time her and I connected through the birth community and through that the three of us became quite good friends Mm -hmm. 
Um, and my memory is coming over to your, the two of yours basement suite mm-hmm. in East Van. Mm-hmm. And we'd have dinner and drink wine. And you guys coached me through many bad relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then eventually the two of you decided you wanted to make a small human to raise and care for. And Mm -hmm. we kind of went through the process of the two of you getting pregnant and then giving birth to your baby and now raising that very cool human. Um, and a few years before I had my own Mm -hmm. and today I wanted to talk about something that you know we always kind of go off on natural natural tangents when we're or natural (laughs) rants about when we're together just about how much kind of our learning about the process of birth as like an instinctual normal healthy kind of physiology has influenced the way that we parent our kids so I don't know if right off the bat you have anything mm-hmm. to kind of mm-hmm. that jumps to mind. I mean, yes, I have so much to say about this, and uh, <laughs> so um, I think where I think where I would start is is uh, is you know I think right off the bat I need to say that I owe I, I really feel like I owe so much of the way that I approach parenting and sort of. I guess what you would call my philosophy of parenting. I mean, that makes it sound, (laughs) makes it sound like I have some like set of coherent principles or whatever, but you know, just my approach to parenting um, is so rooted in when I look back now, those early conversations in that basement apartment in East Vancouver with, with you and Sam and us just talking about birth, like talking so much about birth. And I feel so incredibly grateful to have had all of that time for us to just sit around and talk about things and, and, you know, process, process these ideas about, about birth, about, you know, about medical institutions, about sort of the colonization of women's bodies, about the, the, the sort of medicalization of, of birth and, and all of the things that come with that. And honestly, without all of that time um, with you and Sam in the basement in East Vancouver, I don't think I would be the parent that I am today. I think, you know, there's such a through line for me from this conversation about, about birth to, to parenting. And, you know, my kid is three and a half. So, you know, it's hard for me to say, but up until this point, that is held true, like that there has been this very strong through line. And I, you know, I expect that that will continue through my parenting journey. And what do you think is like, what do you think the underlying kind of like cultural breakdowns that we did around Mm -hmm. birth apply to parenting so easily? I mean, at the, at the very core of it, I think, is this idea of trust and this idea of trust birth mm-hmm. and trust, trust mamas and trust bodies and trust babies. And that, you know, in so many ways, we've been robbed of that over, you know, hundreds of years, you know, maybe, maybe less in, and it depends on your culture, but definitely for me in, in, you know, my lifetime, I feel like I've been robbed of that. And, and, 
um, you know, very disconnected from that sense of trust. And, you know, once you kind of, my experience has been that once, once I settled into that place, once I kind of really felt like I was inhabiting that place of trust, of, you know, trust in all those things, uh, it, 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 what kind of shocked me was like, it didn't end the minute, you know, our baby was born. It wasn't like, oh, all of that stuff was only about birth. It's like, oh, all of that stuff was actually about everything. And it's actually, you know, once you trust birth and trust mama and trust baby, then, you know, you trust learning and you trust, you know, uh, attachment and you trust all of these things that then kind of start to unfold. This is, I mean, I, I I shouldn't say you, this is me. My experience (laughs) is like, I just started to like realize how much that trust in, um, you know, just watching my baby and knowing that she had this inherent instinctual knowledge within her of how she was going to become a person. And that, you know, so my job is 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 to make sure she's you know obviously safe and cared for and all those things but is also to take cues from her to watch her to trust her and that so that it roots so much in this conversation uh, about yeah birth. I think because somewhere I mean we were talking about this in the last episode I recorded about how in our kind of human like our kind of human tendency to confuse the things that we can have a positive impact by the way we influence on them with trying to micromanage and control and fix what isn't Mm -hmm. broken. Mm -hmm. And we do that so much in birth and in life and in parenting because we've like, we've, we've really, I don't know if it was like, if it was like when it was like the industrial revolution where we just decided like Mm -hmm. um, humans are not mammals and instincts are nothing and like robots Mm -hmm. rule. And we're trying to like fix ourselves, (laughs) like put ourselves into these boxes as if we're all machines instead of being like, there is an inherent by instinctual biology that's happening in all of these things. And if we give ourselves permission to pay attention and follow it, we really do a much better job for ourselves and our kids and our bodies by paying attention to those things um, coming out of an era where we've really been kind of trained like to ignore, ignore instincts as if they're somehow inherently mm-hmm. flawed um, instead of mm-hmm. like seeing like what's the body telling us, what's the baby telling us, what's the kid telling us and how do I, like maximize meeting these needs as opposed to trying to like aggressively control every moment. Yeah. Like I, I have so many, so many responses to that. I think like the first is, is absolutely like there's this tendency, you know, to, to center in the brain, to center, to center in this idea that, you know, uh, systematization um, that, you know, rules, regulations, like just ways of doing things that are going to be the same, somehow are going to lead to maximally best Mm -hmm. outcomes. And that, you know, yeah, I don't know enough of, I don't know enough of our sort of like, like 
intellectual history, but I agree, like the industrial revolution, like definitely seems like a, a turning point where we, where we made that separation more significantly. And, you know, it, it's, it's a hundred percent this, like the same tendency to think about like, you know, how can we control this? How can we control birth? You know, how can we control women's bodies? How can we control our children so that, you know, we, we, you know, and, and maybe in the most generous read, like hope that we are going to have the best outcomes. And, you know, and I, and I, I, I do think that that is a, a part of the instinct, right? Like the instinct is to try and ensure the best outcomes. Um, but, but we, lose so much of that instinctual piece as you say around like like watching our children and and really you know just being centered in that and like I remember some of my early experiences of parenting and you know like just like having this anxiety of like oh my god she like you know she shook her left hand three times like she there must be something wrong you know like I gotta look this up on Google like yeah. is that a thing like you know whatever it is right like the, the smallest little things just kind of threw me for a loop and and I know like m uh, my partner Sam would always come back to like yeah. well look at the baby you know like just look at the baby like she's fine you know she's 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 healthy she's doing all the things she needs to be doing it, it, it that is the most important thing like just look look at the baby it doesn't matter what google says it doesn't matter what anyone says just look at the baby and like you know that um that instinct i feel is uh you know is gone when we feel like then we have been told over and over again that we don't know what yeah. we're doing right that we need we need professionals to tell us what we should be doing. And, you know, it undermines our confidence in ourselves and it undermines that instinct to just connect. Totally. And it starts so early. I mean, I would argue it starts like when we start menstruating, but since we're talking about or right. before that, but like, you know, when we talk about it in the, like in the context of birth, it's like, it's the same thing, right? Where it's, instead of just watching the person having the baby and being like, this person is healthy and strong and going moment by moment of following what their instincts are telling them. Instead, we've switched it to these like charts and graphs of like constant, like progress assessment of cervical checks, which is not even based in good science. And then we end up doing all of these like crazy interventions and our cesarean rate is like 30 or 40% and we're causing all this harm because we're trying to control something instead of just mm -hmm. being with and looking at what is actually happening right in front of us and then that that does translate so well to the early postpartum and breastfeeding and mm -hmm. developing and google how you know you can google like like I think the the biggest gift that I had was that I you know a lot of most of my friends had babies before I did and I attended birth mm. for like over 10 years before I had a baby and so I got to watch a lot of people learn to follow their instincts and parent in an instinctual way and like really witness how that all unfolded and so I doesn't, wasn't relying on Google postpartum, but the few times mm -hmm, that I have looked mm -hmm. something up because something has popped into my head about 
whatever like feeding her solids and i want to look something up like you end up down this rabbit hole of like you google like mm-hmm. you know how big should the cucumber slice be to give my baby and then you end up on this page that is like mm-hmm. your baby's four months old they should be sleeping 12 hours straight through the night and then you're like what <laughs> right. like <laughs> like yeah making these yeah rules? like it actually makes me realize no wonder so many parents are so stressed out and feel like they're failing and feel like there's something wrong and are caught in these traps of like hiring sleep consultants or all the things because all the rules are like holding these like developmental benchmarks that are not based in biology or science or truth and are just based in like this weird like benchmark as if it's as if everything is a test Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. And you can, you know, you see it right from, you know, well, well before pregnancy, but through pregnancy, you know, all the tests, all the milestones, all the things that that we're monitoring for, like through the birth process itself, and then through, you know, postpartum early childhood you know, does your baby have this many words? Does your baby like, is your baby growing this much or not? Like, and again, those are all important things to, to pay attention to, right? Like, it's not about like, oh, just like, don't, don't worry if you think there's something actually (laughs) wrong with your baby, right? Like, that's, that's different, right? And like, you know, that, and, and, and it's a bit of a hard balance, I think, when we're so stoked in this, like, culture of anxiety and, and perfectionism to kind of know the difference. But like, you know, and I, I think we're probably as, as parents, my partner, Sam and I are probably like, kind of, uh, you know, probably on the more rogue end of the spectrum on this, but like we, and we had, and well, rogue and privileged end of the spectrum on this because our baby, you know, was showing all the signs of being healthy and was continuing to kind of develop. And, you know, what we had the luxury of, of not sort of concerning ourselves with, and it was, it was was an active choice as well is like at what rate and, you know, on whose schedule and like, according to which milestones, like I, I, I just like, I literally have never looked any of that stuff up. I don't know. I actually don't know how tall my child is. I actually don't know how much she weighs. And and I, and I, I honestly haven't except for, once when she was weighed right when she was born actually when I think yeah you weighed her like a few days a few weeks maybe after she was born that was the second time and then we put her on an airport scale <laughs> once because we're sort of curious about how much she weighed and that's that's the only time again we're lucky because you know she what she didn't there didn't seem to be anything concerning about that but about her weight or her her progression or whatever but we also sort of deliberately did not engage in that sort of paradigm of, um, you know, making sure she was checking all the boxes. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I, I tend towards being kind of an anxious person and I, and, and part of it was a self-preservation thing. It was like, I know that if I start looking this stuff up and I start feeling like, 
my kid is failing or I'm failing or, or even, you know, the, the, the flip of that, which is like, oh, my kid is so <laughs> yeah. advanced. And like, you know, this, like, she's got 25 words and she's only supposed to have 20. It's like, who cares, right? <laughs> totally. Like, it's just so funny. And, like, and totally. So, and I think this yeah. like, disconnect too between, it's not saying like, just be nonchalant and who cares what happens to your kid, but trusting like, yeah when you're watching your kid, you can tell like, are they eating? Are they growing? Are they exactly. interacting? Exactly. Are they, are they like, are they developing? And, and, you know, trusting yourself too, if you're feeling worried or nervous and asking someone that you trust or whatever, but not doing the like, you know, my baby, like my, my kid was a bit premature. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, premature babies sometimes have a harder time with breastfeeding, plus my body had been through all the cancer treatments in pregnancy. So I think that kind of impacted my milk making mm-hmm. supply. And it was like, I wasn't doing the daily weight checks of her, but just watching her and paying attention to her, like I could tell there was a point where she wasn't getting enough milk by looking at her mm-hmm. and watching mm-hmm. her behavior. Right. And then it was like, at that point, I asked my midwife to weigh her. And then we started like doing the things to get my milk supply up and feeding her and making sure she was getting nourishment. So it's not like, I just ignored like, whatever, like everything's going to be fine. Right. But it's like, trusting, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning that Sam said, like, look at the baby, you know, like watch, look at the baby. Mm-hmm. And if something is, something is weird or concerning, then you like look into it, but let's not be like constantly obsessing over what's the benchmark. What's the benchmark? What's the benchmark? Because then we actually often create problems that were never there to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the tendency towards this, um, you know, this milestone based assessment of our, of our, um, you know, our pregnancies, our births, our, our newborn babies, our small children, it extends all the way through, right? Like as soon as kids, uh, you know, go to school, like it's the same sort of thing, right? It's this standardization, this idea that, you know, there is an average and that deviation from that average is a problem. And, that, you know, again, in, in some cases, and this is, you know, it's, it's important to kind of say all of this stuff, like in some cases, yes, you do want to pay attention to, to that. If when you look at your baby or your child, you, you know that there's something that you need totally. to look into, right? Like that's different, right? But like, you know, my kid, you know, if, if your kid doesn't anyway, like the, the, just the different, the, the, obsession we have with um kind of thinking about how people develop i mean you don't have to know too many kids to know that they're so different from each other and their skills are so different from each other and their aptitudes are so different from each other you know and that their their progression on different things is different from each other and that's beautiful and amazing and how do we honor and value that and not make that a cause of anxiety and uh, a way again that we punish ourselves as parents somehow for like failing and how you know eventually we sort of force our kids into those same molds through a school system that is based on this same principle of like uh of adherence to a set of 
kind of arbitrary things that you're supposed to learn or milestones that you're supposed to hit so that you're progressing through to adulthood so you can be a productive citizen or whatever, you know, whatever ends up on the other side of that. And that's just so backwards to me, like in terms of thinking about what I want my kid to be set up to do in her life. It's like, you know, there's kind of three things. I want her to be centered in joy and I want her to know her own joy and value her own joy and revel in her own joy and just have that be validated and legitimate because I think we've lost so much touch with our own joy as adults and I see that so often and so I wish that for her I wish her to follow her instincts to learn and explore and to never lose that and I wish her to have a fierce ownership of her own body and you know I, I feel like if if she has those three things she's that, that that's what I wish for her and like if she learns to read along the way that's great you know like well, the thing is like that's and, then, kind and of... she will or and like you know as you said like there's of course there's there's people who need more help than others but it's like this is this this obsession with like benchmarks of progress but like assuming that faster is better just like we assume like the quicker we can get the birth over the better we think like oh, the quicker the baby can walk, mm-hmm. the better, or the quicker she's eating food, the better, or the quicker she's eating, uh, sleeping through the night, the better, or the quicker she can read, the better. And like you said, like, it, like it gets into this comparison and anxiety and feel, putting pressure on ourselves and then pressure on our kids when it's so unnecessary. Like I remember interacting with a, an acquaintance fairly early postpartum who had a baby about a month behind mine. And the conversation was like, oh, is is she talking yet? And I said, no, not yet. And her kid had a couple was saying like mom and dad maybe or something. And um, I mean, I don't know how many months this was, but at some point. And then my kid like sat up and crawled over to me and they were like, oh my God, your kid can crawl. And I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like they just do things at different places, like different paces. Mm-hmm. Like some babies mm-hmm. will focus mm-hmm. on the words first and some babies will focus on the mm-hmm. moving first. And no, like I don't need to like, as soon as she crawls, I don't need to grab her hands and pull her up and start to force her to walk. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like every moment of development, it has a purpose and and like a, an instinctual and physiological unfolding. And our like performance expectations really just make things so much harder and unpleasant for and not as safe for everybody because we Mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. it's like we think we need to have the like the top kid who's progressing the most quickly on all things which is not possible like me and you don't like if I want I can I'm capable of learning many things in my life but not all at the same time and yeah (laughs) yeah 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 no no exactly and I think that this like you know going back to to what we were sort of talking about at the beginning of this like you know this trust piece right and like watching your kid and following your kid and and for me I had to kind of unlearn some of my instincts around like trying to get her to do things or get her to learn things and I think like human beings are inherently programmed to learn, right? Like that is what we are here for. And if you watch a baby, you know, you don't have to teach a baby how to crawl. You don't have to teach a baby how to walk. A baby, you know, 
you know, obviously there are exceptions to this, but like, you know, in general, you, you, these things, a baby will just do right. And like, and when, as soon as for me, like in early parenthood, um, not that I'm not still in early parenthood, but in very (laughs) early parenthood, like, I feel like that became so clear to me. It was like, if I wanted her to crawl sooner than she's crawling, I, what would I do? Like, there's no, there's nothing I can do really, you know, like, I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't, maybe there are things, I don't know, but like, you know, like it just was so clear to me that her body was stacking skills in a way that was allowing her to build towards the skill of crawling. Totally. And, you know, like, and same thing with walking. It's like, you know, yeah, there there came a point where she, all she wanted to do was walk and hold my hands and like my back will probably be the same, but like, like it wasn't me saying, okay, it's time yes. to walk or, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's time, it's time to practice this, or I want you to do this now, or I'm concerned about how long it's taking you to do this because you're behind your peers. So we're going to do like walking drills or whatever, right? <laughs> like it was just so like it would have just been so ridiculous to do that. So then why do we do that with other things? Right? Like, why do we, why do we think about, you know, the other skills in the same way? And like, you know, uh, I feel like I keep need to keep caveating this, like, you know, if for kids who do need extra support in these things, that's, that's a, that's a different question. Right. And that's like, that we we need to find the support that parents and kids need if they if they need it and that's a hundred percent like not what I'm talking about in this you know when I'm explaining this but it's like you know why would I you know need her to you know learn how to draw people with bodies it's like oh I see you're drawing people with faces you know maybe you should draw people with bodies because somehow I've got it in my head that that's a developmental right. milestone that like you know suddenly you know she she's delayed because she's not drawing people with bodies it's like who cares? <laughs> it's like totally. she will get there or she will not yeah right and like and and when you when I follow her that's when the learning happens, right? That's when I see her learning and absorbing things. And if I sit down and try to say to her, like, let's talk about the ABCs. She's like, yeah, whatever. And yet, you know, she is able to, she knows her alphabet, right? And it's like, it's not because we sat down and gave her flashcards. It's because she wanted to learn that and she was capable and her brain was capable and it happened, right? And so it's like, these are, it's so clear to me from these very early days that they're programmed to do this. We need to get out of the way. And the kind of learning that happens for them when they do it from a self-motivated place is so much more meaningful. And so much more confidence building, you know, like, right. Like, yeah. I think it's, it's, um, and it, like, I am having this kind of flashback to things that I talk about in birth a lot where, you know, if you Google like, positions for early labor positions for active labor and you'll get all these like charts of the positions you should be in and I'm always telling like my birth worker students and clients like you know it's not like let's chase people around the house and be like I read squatting is a good position for birth it's like (laughs) you know if the person seems to be trying to squat how can you help them do it like make sure it's safe and comfortable and they Mm -hmm. feel confident Mm -hmm. in the squat and you know, supported by you while they're squatting and you're available to them if you need anything. Like, watch what their body is instinctually trying to do 
and either just stand Mm -hmm. by and give them space or if it seems like they're like need a little bit of grounding maybe you put something in front of them to hold on to and how like that's such a different thing than being like I see you're laying down in bed let's get you up doing lunges and like that that transcribes so much more so much to parenting where it's like you know the difference between the kid's already taking a few steps and now she's reaching for your hand and wants to walk down the hallway holding your hand as opposed to being like oh she stood up I'm gonna teach her how to walk now like come with me right (laughs) right and it's that constant kind of like oh you got this now let's do the next thing right like there's this as you were saying earlier right this drive towards this this drive towards development on on a pathway that looks a certain way right that follows a certain path and you know again if you go back to kind of you know early early childhood some kids don't crawl right they just kind of go from like being sitting to like totally walk one day totally it's like cool like good thing I didn't try to teach you how to crawl because like (laughs) yeah because that wasn't your path like you did it that's not what you were doing totally so cool totally or like even you know when when my kid was learning to roll over for a long time like she only would roll in one direction which was actually fantastic because it made it feel very safe to like have her on the bed (laughs) but but it wasn't like you know she knows how to roll it's like at some point she's going to figure out how that she can also roll the other direction. Like, I don't have to be like, Oh no, how can I force her to roll the other way? You know? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that like the confidence building, like, you know, when you're saying what you want for your kid, like when I think about parenting, I think about similar things. And when I particularly about like trusting their instincts and trusting their bodies and feeling confident Mm -hmm. and connected and capable and how if we're always telling them like whatever you're doing right now is not quite enough and we need to get to the next Mm -hmm. phase it it like stifles that natural confidence that I really see in her like I really it's so cool for me to watch how confident she is in her body like Mm -hmm. when she feels ready like you know when she was ready to stand hands-free she started to do it slowly and some days she'd play with it and some days she didn't and then there then she started to take a few steps and she might spend a day working on steps and then not do it again for several days and just like her own confidence in that and her strength and her ability to explore and try things like on her own pace when she's ready is so fascinating to watch and I often think you know where do we lose that as adults? Because I think, you know, as adults, mm-hmm. like raised in the culture that we are so much of the time, we really doubt our abilities and our instincts and like our knowing of our bodies and how to use them because we're mm-hmm. constantly, I think because it's like we're constantly doing the opposite where we're like, am I qualified? Do I have this skill? Am I skilled mm-hmm, enough? Mm-hmm, am I capable? Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of, you know, those messages can come from a lot of places, but one of them is like, you know, it can start really young in just how mm-hmm. we build our relationships with with our own bodies in front of our kids and how we interact mm-hmm. with our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's that it's that inherent sort of drive they have or not drive is the wrong word, that inherent knowledge they have of themselves and their skills. And, you know, the the days that Kate is practicing walking are the days that she's feeling like that's the thing I want to do today. And the days when she's not, it's like, meh, that's not really what I'm into today. And like, 
you know, and she inherently knows that without even knowing it, right? Like it's just instinctual to her. And like, and, and we do, we do lose that. And I think we lose that for, you know, so many reasons. One of them is, you know, be, being brought up in, in the way that certainly I was, and I think many people were, it's this sense of external validation of like, yes, you are good at this and therefore you should continue or no, you are not good at this. And therefore this is not something that you should spend time doing regardless of whether or not it brings you joy, regardless of whether or not, you know, you get something out of it. And, and like we, we stop being we, that intrinsic sort of value to the things we do kind of, you know, it gets beaten out, beaten out of us a little bit yeah. in, in terms of what's motivating us to do the things that we do. Yeah. I read a quote the other day that said something about like, praise the process, not the outcome. Mm-hmm. And about being mm-hmm. like, oh, like how cool you're just like, you really worked hard on trying to climb that as opposed to being like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and not that we, it's, I think sometimes people get confused and think like, you're never allowed to like, like, are you saying you're yeah. never allowed yeah. to like show your kid you're proud of them? And it's like, yeah. no, yeah. but let's be conscious about what we're really, what we're really trying to instill in them in terms of their relationship to their bodies and their confidence and their abilities to learn and grow and try and that it's not always about like how fast you get to the goal, but how do you connect to yourself confidently while you're trying to figure out whatever it is you're trying to figure out? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Right. And like, of course there are these natural and very genuine exclamations of like, wow, you did it. Like you were working so hard and you got it. You got what you were trying to do. That's awesome. You must feel really proud of yourself. Totally. Right? Like, and that's just a normal human thing that I would say to you yes. or to any adult. Right. And like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I better not praise Jessica because like, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah, totally. right? Like that's ridiculous, right? Like, and, and I, and, and I, you know, what you're saying makes me think of this, this time when I was sitting with my kid when she was younger and she was playing with some Duplo blocks and, and I was noticing like over the days that, we, you know, on the days that we were playing with Duplo blocks, she was starting to kind of like, you know, bang them together a little bit. She was sort of exploring like, how do these blocks sort of you know, what do they do? What are their principle or their characteristics, right? Like what, what are these things and, you know, exploring them. And then, you know, one, one day she got really close to sticking them together. And then the next day she got them stuck together. And I remember thinking like, why would I celebrate the day when she got them stuck together more than I celebrated the day right before that, where she almost got them stuck together, right? right? Like each, there's like each of these moments is actually, like an amazing moment of, of learning and building on what she had done before. But to me as an adult, I'm looking at this and I'm like the, the, of course the goal of playing with Duplo is to stick two blocks together, right? Like that's, that's why you play with Duplo is to stick two blocks together. And it's like, for her, she's like the day she stuck two blocks together was no more necessarily significant than the day she didn't stick two blocks together, you know, like the day before she was able to do that. And like, and you know, and it really struck me that we are so we layer our adult kind of interpretation of what you know what the goal is or what the outcome is that we should be striving for and i think that's where it gets kind of that that's where it gets tricky in terms of like you know 
yes, praising our kids for when they achieve what they are trying to achieve, not necessarily praising them for when they achieve what we think is significant. Totally. And I think there's like a, there's a, there's a difference in between those. That's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's tough, but like, cause you know, obviously I'm really happy when she doesn't pee on the floor, but like, you know, and, and I want to, you know, I want to, want to be happy about that, but like, you know, what is actually important to her, right? Like what, what is she striving to do and how can I support her in achieving those things? Totally. And just noticing, like, I've also been thinking about, you know, how we use the word good and say good job and say good going mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't really like that's such like a natural thing in some ways. And some people try to avoid saying it altogether. I'm kind of more of like a, I kind of aim to be expansive in how I use it. So not just like, Oh, good job. You achieved a goal, but also like, Oh, you're crying. Like, good. I love when you cry and tell me what you need. Like, hmm. I love, you know, hmm. like, like, hmm. like, Mm-hmm. like oh you peed on the floor like you're you're sometimes mm-hmm. I say to her, like oh you're I mean she's only a year old so she's not anywhere near not peeing randomly everywhere yeah, but of course I try yes. to say things like <laughs> amazing like your body is so good at filtering your blood like you know like... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah the other day she's had a bit of a diaper rash so I've been giving her lots of uh like air diaper free naked time and so she pooed on the floor the other day and I was like oh this is like your body is just so good at digesting food <laughs> and I find like like part of that is like I'm trying what I'm trying to do is like practice to myself like what like I want my kid to feel like connected and safe and connected to her body not mm-hmm. like her job is to try to like I don't know make everyone's life easier around her but then it also mm. like keeps me grounded in like we can't have un I think so often we get these like unrealistic expectations of our kids and what they should be doing it's like you have a one-year-old like they don't have any control over their excretion like it's actually just not part of their physiology yet it's not there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like you can get annoyed because there's pee on the floor but it's actually kind of a waste of your time to be totally. because like totally that's just like this is normal it's like you know of course when she's eating she's going to throw half of her food on the floor because part of what she's doing right now is figuring out she's learning how to eat but she's also learning physics and texture exactly. and how to control her environment and like it's not it's like she's not ready to learn oh when you're done with your food you just quit eating it like that's not that's not where she's at developmentally exactly <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and like having expectations that are, you know, commensurate with what your child is actually doing and what makes sense given what your child is capable of, you know, and not confusing that with like bad behavior or, you know, or good behavior on the other hand, right? Yeah. Like the, there, there's no value associated with these things. There's, you know, yeah, like I remember somebody said to me early on like oh she's such a good baby and it like it was so weird (sighs) to me I was like I don't know what you mean she's a good baby are there bad babies (laughs) like what are you talking about I know that was such an interesting thing to me too anytime anyone has ever said that to me I just always say like all babies are good babies because it's like you know what does good mean like good means that they're they're 
what like quiet and don't bother anybody and you don't notice like what is like what do we mean there right like when I would take Kedra to my cancer appointments and Gary would like have her in the Tula wrap and put her to sleep while I was getting my chemo and she'd be content and they'd say oh your baby is so good and I would say like I was like well she seems pretty content right now and you know like if she was crying to tell us that she wasn't content that would also be good you know like yeah Yeah. this like this funny this funny thing we have around an association with good behavior meaning like hopefully no adults notice you're around is like ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 Absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things that has become really clear to me now that I'm a parent is how incredibly ageist our society is and like how much we, you know, we talk a good game about respecting children, but when it comes right down to it, respecting children requires like quite a different like mindset, like a shift in perspective. Right. And it's like, you know, Like my kid right now is going through a phase where like she likes her food separate, Mm -hmm. right? Like she, she, you know, this is one of these like funny parenting things, right? Where like, it's like, oh, look, our two-year-old eats olives. She is so awesome. And she's going to have such a complex palate. And of course, now all she wants to eat is like pasta, (laughs) right? And like, it's like, yeah, that's, it's, you know, good to remember the humility, but like, um, so she wants her food separate and like, you know, I'm fine with that because like if you came over to my house and said, Hey, you know what? These days I'm really enjoying my food separate. I wouldn't be like, well, Jessica, you know, you have to have your sauce on the pasta because that's how we eat pasta. I would never (laughs) do that. Right. Right. Like I would. And so why can't I extend that to my kid? Like my, that's, that's what she wants to eat right now. So, you know, I'm not going to like, whatever there are limits to how far I'm going to go with that you know because I have to have my own boundaries about how much work I want to do to put dinner (laughs) on the table but like I don't need to like I don't need to govern something like that about her right like I you know how do we you know a a check that I'm constantly doing is like would I talk to my partner like this would I talk to my friend like this would I sort of you know how would I yeah like that thought experiment is really helpful for me and of course like a hundred percent I talk to her like a toddler <laughs> probably more regularly than you know and yeah. I mean like in a sort of you know kind of disrespectful way like I hope I don't but sometimes I'm sure I do because it's you know it's hard to parent and there are moments where you just kind of lose it and that's of course normal and whatever but you know when I'm being my best self this is the kind of you know, that that's the basis from which I want to have a relationship with her where, uh, you know, I treat her and I respect her wishes as much as I can in the way that I would like a friend or a partner. And not confusing that because I think also sometimes people when they hear um, people talking about parenting in that way, like they think that means like, you have no boundaries for yourself. Right. But we also have like, you and I have boundaries with each other. Like sometimes you might make a request of me 
that I'm unable to meet and I will find a respectful way to share with you. I'm not able to meet that request, exactly. but I'm not just like wandering around trying to boss you around all day long for no reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Our friendship probably wouldn't have lasted this long if we were doing that. Right. Like I think, yeah. you know, it's not, so it's not, not to say like, I think that like letting your kid lead and meeting their needs and accommodating them in a like respectful way that's attuned to their development and ability and real intention because something that you often talk about or I've heard you say is you know our kids want to connect with us like we're social Mm -hmm. mammals like we have like an inherent drive to um, connect and bond and co-regulate like that is all instinctual so whatever they're doing Mm -hmm. is never like a purposeful attempt to like Mm -hmm. be bad or bother us Mm -hmm. or make our lives hard and I can see Mm -hmm. like I had I got a dog a few years before I had a baby and what I really noticed with her is like the days where she was like when she was a puppy when she was like rambunctious or barking a lot or nipping at us or chewing things up it was always because like we were not meeting one of her needs like she didn't give enough get Mm -hmm. enough exercise or she needed some water like she's trying to communicate with us and because she's a dog and doesn't speak and I have no like google progress report that I'm trying to compare her to like it was so obvious to see that but we sometimes like forget about it with our kids where like because the kid is like um you know having a a interaction that's maybe feels stressful or that you'd prefer them not to have it's like instead of thinking like what need are they saying they have that I can Mm -hmm. meet for them as opposed to being like they're being bad and I need to teach them how to be good (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly. And and I think that it's really hard, right? And I think because the kind of behavior that kids will display when they are feeling, you know, disconnected or unsafe or dysregulated looks a lot like, you know, the kind of behavior that's <laughs> like they're kind of being intentionally provocative or intentionally kind of button pushy. And, it, you know, it takes a lot to be able to be like, okay this is my interpretation of my kid's behavior right now, right? Like that they are, you know, refusing to do this thing that I need them to do or whatever it is. And like, it looks a lot to me like they're doing this intentionally to piss me <laughs> yeah. off. And like that, it, that is, it's what it looks like, right? But like at the core of it, and I really, I really strongly believe this. And, you know, one of the sort of, one of the, sort of writers and podcasters on parenting that I, I, I listen to quite a lot is Janet Lansbury. And she talks a lot about this as well. And, and she talks about how like their fundamental drive is to be connected to you, uh, you, their caregiver. And, you know, they are not trying to disassociate, they're not trying to disconnect from you. Right. And so when they display this behavior where the result is they become more disconnected from you because you're like, you know, you react badly or whatever, that is more scary to them, right? right? Like that, that is actually like, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like, you know, in the sense that like when, you know, kids behave like that, oftentimes we react with like, you know, not our best selves. Um, But I think it's, you know, it's been a really strong guiding principle for me that, you know, her goal my kid's goal is actually not to make my life hard. Like that's not what she's trying to do. She's, you know, 
whatever's going on for her, it's my job to try and help her, you know, express what it is she needs to express, figure out what it is she needs, but also be clear and have my boundaries and have her know what those are and not, you know, not just kind of be a pushover because that is also terrifying for kids, right? Like when you don't have good boundaries and you're, you, you know, they don't know what sort of the expectations are. That's really, that's really like, like disorienting for them. That does not help them feel safe. So oh, it also doesn't keep yeah. them feel safe, keeps them safe in the world. Like you don't want to raise a kid who has no boundaries yeah, yeah. for herself. Like we need to model. Yeah. Like I often think of it as like, how do I, like my goal of parenting is not how do I raise a kid that makes me look good in public? My goal is like, how do I right. raise a kid right. that's going to be a confident, capable um, human as an adult? And one of those things is right. like, I want my kid to be comfortable knowing her boundaries and her limits and expressing them in a way that is kind and yeah. effective. And I teach her that by modeling them to her. Something I, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but somebody I follow on Instagram often is repeating this line of like, your job is to like, set the boundary, maintain the boundary, validate the feelings. And I think that is such like a... Totally. I mean, and that's just not even with parenting. That's just with a skill that humans in our culture are kind of lacking that we <laughs> yeah. need, where it's like, it's not yeah. like, you know, just saying things like, yeah, I can see you really want to, you really want to... Um, like you really want to go outside right now and that's not what we're doing. And it's okay to be upset about that. Like, I understand you're upset yes. because you want to go outside and you're allowed to be upset. Like, oh, are you feeling a bit mad at me? Cause I took that toy away. Cause I didn't think it was safe. You know, it's, I, I understand you're allowed to be a bit mad and it's my job to keep you safe, you know, like, and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how, like how it's like this, it's really this two directional thing. I, I think like, cause my kid can't even talk, but I say it to her <laughs> as like a, a practice of like the intention that I'm trying to build with her yeah. both for her sake and for mine because saying those things out loud mm -hmm. I think also keeps me in a place of understanding what's really happening like it's not like she's like mm -hmm. crying as you know like oh how annoying she's crying because I took her toy away like of course she's crying because I took her toy away she was playing mm -hmm. with it and I just mm -hmm. if I grabbed something out of your hand and run it, ran mm -hmm. away with it you'd be mad too and she has like, mm -hmm. like that's like and just saying like yeah I can see what you're feeling and I understand and I would feel the same way helps me not feel frustrated and also teaches her like you're allowed to have feelings and be upset sometimes and like I'm also allowed to have a boundary <laughs> And you are not afraid of her bad feelings, yes. right? And I think that's another thing that's really important in that is that, you know, if our goal is to make sure our kids never have a bad feeling, well, that's not really setting them up very well either. No. Because then they don't learn that bad feelings are safe and are, you know, it's okay to, you know, we try as a society to avoid feeling bad, but like, you know, or sad, but these, this is, this is what life is and learning how to process that and learning how to seek comfort or learning how to, you know, get help when you're feeling like that from someone who is comfortable with your sadness or your anger and welcomes it and can hold space for it is hugely important. And not seeing them as being like, all feelings are normal, healthy feelings. Like the goal isn't, you're supposed to be happy and jovial all day. 
It's like, let yourself like understand when you're angry, connect to it, let it move through your body, know it's okay to feel, learn how to interact with it in a healthy way, and then move through to the other side. Not like you're only good if you're never angry or you're the only good feeling is like Mm -hmm. a, a pleased, happy feeling. It's like, it's good to let ourselves. I mean, that's like so much in our culture is around all this pressure of being like performative. And then when like intense or challenging emotions come up, it's like people either sink totally into them because they're so they have no idea how to interact with them in a healthy way or they confuse interacting with them in a healthy way with ignoring them altogether and neither one of those is beneficial it's like all like we're human and sometimes we feel happy and sometimes we feel peaceful and sometimes we feel scared and sometimes we feel brave and sometimes we feel angry and sometimes we want to cry and all of those things like we're supposed to feel and allow ourselves and I love what you said sorry no good yeah no I was gonna say I love what you said earlier about like you know uh oh good you're crying you're telling me what you need you know like that's beautiful like that's that's so so skilled and like just that's exactly it because I find myself even sometimes like we'll be looking at a, a you know a book and it's like oh do you think that baby's happy or sad like my kid will ask like what do you think that baby's feeling and I'll say like oh well it looks to me like that baby's feeling sad and like and then she'll be like and what about this baby like oh that baby looks like they're feeling happy and you see the tone of my voice is totally different in those two examples right like I am you know what I think I'm doing is like and you know I I don't know but like I worry that when I say oh that baby's feeling sad it's like I'm imbuing that with like you know, that's not what we want. Right? right. And it's like, and, and it's tricky because like, we don't want to make other people feel sad and we don't want to hurt other people because those kinds of emotions we want to try and, you know, not avoid, but like minimize if we can mm-hmm. by our own actions. But at the same time, those are, you know, okay things to feel and you will feel them. And, you know, here are some tools and skills that you can use when you do right and and so yeah anyway I I, this is one that I kind of catch myself on sometimes where I think in very subtle or maybe not so subtle ways I am saying you know happy feelings are better than sad (laughs) feelings right but you know like the difference I think that you kind of just knit on hit on is like the difference between you know wanting to set ourselves up for the most kind of like healthy and grounded relationship to our joy and world around us as possible and not shaming challenging emotions like not being like mm-hmm. you're, it's like it's it's not it's like there's something there's like a shame piece around feeling anger or expressing anger or crying as opposed to seeing it as like like validating this is a normal emotion to have and how do we interact with it in a healthy and productive mm-hmm. and safe and kind way Mm-hmm. yeah and I think about that again like I learned like a lot of like all of these things really go back to birth where I think about when mm. someone's having like a physiologic birth like part of the reason like our intervention rates are so high is because as soon as somebody's having like an intense feeling or sensation or emotion we're like mm. nope like discomfort is bad and frustration right. is bad and crying is bad so let's just like <laughs> medicate you and strap you to the bed and get this over with for you instead of being like you're totally allowed to just like go through this experience and this is healthy and normal and actually really incredible and powerful and amazing instead of painting like any emotion that isn't like 
a luxury day at the spa as somehow like not good enough or worthwhile. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, you know, we are, we're afraid of, you know, we're afraid of sadness. We're afraid of anger. Like, you know, I, I myself, you know, this is something that I have so much work that I've done and so much yet to do on like how to, how to deal with that myself in just in myself, let alone like, you know, how to help my kid navigate these things better. Right. Like totally. And I, it's sort of terrifying. It's so it's like, well, and that's why I think like the more we let our kids be our teachers, Mm-hmm. the better we actually guide them because they mm-hmm. do such a good job of like showing us how to be connected and in the moment and just like have a feeling and move through it and then you know get back to there because I've noticed like you know through my my diagnosis and experience through cancer and stuff like when I like sometimes I go through a few days where I need to cry a lot or I am really angry and mm-hmm. but it's not like it's not like forcing myself not to not to have those feelings. It's like when I let myself have those feelings for a little bit of time and just go cry in the tub or whatever, be however I need to be, I it's like I can come through to the other side and actually become so much more confident and full of life and vitality mm-hmm. and happiness because I let myself just like go there in a way that felt like connected to it as opposed to either like going there and getting stuck there and kind of reveling in it or trying to dismiss it altogether. Cause those two things kind of go hand in hand sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and I like learned that skill from attending births and mm. watching my kid, you know? <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, your ability to do that is such an amazing gift for Kedra, right? Because she sees that and she knows that she, you know, this is the thing about these little people is they see everything, right? They, they, they watch us and they know us on a level I'm convinced that is like, you know, terrifyingly clear, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like there is no hiding your shit from your kid. Like it's, they see you, yes. right? They see you warts and all. And like, we sometimes try to pretend that we're putting up a good front or whatever. And they like see through us so fast. Right? Well, and it doesn't like, help, right? Like I sometimes notice, like I, I find like the other day I said something, something happened and I just said, well, Kedra, I'm feeling kind of frustrated right now, but we're going to get through <laughs> this together. And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, they're not like, just, I like when you just kind of learn, it's almost like, my attempt to want her to be able to recognize her emotions in her own Mm -hmm. body and interact with them and move through them really calls me forward to be like (laughs) conscious about myself and what I'm doing and the emotion that I'm having and not going down some rabbit hole of like getting all stressed out for no reason. Like if you, if I just like take one second and say it out loud, then it dissipates and it's gone, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, and as you say, they are such good teachers in that way. Right. Because if you're trying to show up for her, you're showing up for yourself too. Yes. Right. And like, that's the beautiful part of, I mean, there's so many beautiful parts of all of this, but like, it's really beautiful. Like if you can, if, if you're able to do that and like, you know, the corollary of like, if you're like, I'm fine, Kedra, there's nothing wrong here. <laughs> She's like, uh, bullshit, mom. Like, there's obviously something wrong yeah. here. And now I'm feeling really scared because I don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Something when I was early postpartum and I was having some, uh, like a good 
just needing to give up breastfeeding and or choosing to give up breastfeeding to go back on chemotherapy. And that was like a really hard time for me. And I was crying. There was a period where I was crying a lot. And my midwife was over sitting with me and I was holding my baby and I was crying. And I said, Oh, like, Kedra, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sad. And Andreas, my midwife said to me, Jessica, you're going to want her to be gentle on herself. And so you need to show her it's okay to be gentle on yourself too. And it really, like, it's so impactful because it's like, yes, we want to, we need to be like healthy for ourselves so that we're healthy people for our kids to be around. And then finding a balance in that, not meaning like you're never allowed to have an emotion, you know, like it's like, you're not like, just say like, I'm feeling really sad right now. Or today's a, today's a, I'm having a lot of feelings today. And it, like it helps you and it helps them and it helps them learn to understand themselves, hopefully in the future. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's again, like, I mean, you're, you're just giving her such amazing gifts of emotional literacy, right? Because you're, she's, she's there with you, right? Like she's, she's, you know, she's watching all of this and she's, you know, she's learning that it's okay. Yeah. She's learning that it's okay to be sad and frustrated and angry. And she's learning also that you come out the other side, right? Like, and that these things will, will come and they will go and, that they're, it's okay. And, and, you know, that's, I don't know if there's one thing we can teach our kids like that's a really, like that is huge yeah. right? because that just sets, sets them up, it, you know, sets her up for like being able to navigate these things throughout her whole life. Right. And like, God, I wish that, you know, we'd have better emotional literacy <laughs> training or like skills given to us when we were kids, right? Like how much, how many thousands of dollars in therapy is it, is it taken <laughs> later to like realize, you know, it would have been good to have some of these skills earlier on. Well, and how much like the generation that came before us of our parents, you know, and it's never, I'd always want to be like, I totally want to yeah. acknowledge like my parents, like I had a, a lot of great things about my childhood and my, all parents kind of do their best for their kids typically and like the goal is always like how do we learn and progress and and grow forward and like the generations before us were so focused on like telling parents to ignore their instincts like I know you want to pick up your baby but that's bad for your baby put your baby in the room and ignore them like every inch they were really actively aggressively marketed to to ignore every instinct they had told everything that they wanted to like their instincts told them was somehow wrong or harmful and so they forced Mm -hmm. themselves to parent like a lot of them in in ways that were like not what they would have done if they were they themselves had been nurtured in like feeling confident and instinctual and trusting their instincts and trusting us but because of some kind of weird social script that some like some person just made up to make money (laughs) or whatever whatever yeah 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 no exactly and I mean like you know again bringing it back to birth like this is so evident in in pregnancy in 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 birth in early postpartum like these you know the the ways in which we have undermined women's and parents' ability and knowledge and the repercussions that has like through generations, right? Like it's, 
it's not just like, oh, this is your birth and we're going to like medicalize it. And then you're going to go on and be like, you know, it, it matters. Like it deeply matters how, how we are dealing with birth, how we are dealing with, you know, uh, you know, parenting and, and all of it, especially early parenting, like the, these things, these things resonate and, um, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this, it's not, it's not blame at all. Like this is, you know, this is, everybody does their best to like, you know, to care for their child and love their child, children in the way that they can. And, you know, maybe someday our kids are going to make a podcast and talk about like all the things that we did that they didn't like or whatever, but you know, I hope they do like, cause hopefully we just keep getting yeah. better. Right. So. Totally. Well, exactly. Like, that's the thing is like, it's not being like, let's hold ourselves to some unreasonable, like, cause we're all human and like everyone is, you know, like you said at the beginning, like all kids are mm-hmm. different. So it's not like there's some rule box mm-hmm. where like, if you just figure out the right checklist of the right phrases to say, it's all going to work out. But it's kind of like, how do I be in tune to my own instincts, in tune to my kids' instincts? How do I build like co-regulation between those two? How do I encourage this person to be a confident, instinctual, capable being who also grows up to be confident mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to question me. Totally. You know, like that's like, my goal is not like, how do I raise a kid who's like blindly like, <laughs> my mom was always right. But like, hmm, like I want to think for my, like my mom, I want her to think like my mom taught me to think for myself and think critically about assumptions of, that people, the things that I've been told and like some of those things are yeah. going to be things that I did or said or wrote or whatever. And that's, that's supposed to be, it actually makes me think of a line of a a book I read a year ago called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I don't know if you've read that book, but there's a line in it where her kid says something. I can't, I can't, I wish I'd written it down, but it's something about the kid says something about disappointing her or disappointing, letting someone down or disappointing people. And the mother says to her, like the most, the most important person Mm. to not disappoint is yourself. And the kid said something like, well, what about you? Mm. And she said, especially, Mm. she said, especially, especially not Mm -hmm. like, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) so good. Cause it's not like, I don't want to raise a kid whose job it is to like, again, like there's a natural instinct, you're bonded people. Like they want, you want to have this like, cohesive bond together but that doesn't mean like she exists for my Mm -hmm. benefit or my pleasure or my goals like there's a really big distinction between yeah and I think that you know it's it's easy for that to get it's easy for that to get blurred for for people and I think that's you know partly and we run into problems and and but like having that clarity of like you know, my goal is not for you. My goal is not for my kid to obey me. My, my goal is for my kid, as I said, to know joy and to, you know, trust herself. And, and if, if that means disagreeing with me, I mean, we're sort of talking about sort of a, hypothetical future state here because right now my kid just disagrees with me about whether or not she should brush her teeth but like you know like 
but that's important too. I don't mean to <laughs> yes. dismiss that. That is also, you know, this is, that it's a very important moment of like, you know, bodily autonomy and all of those things, right? Like all these little things right now really matter, right? Totally. So I don't, I don't mean learning. to be dismissive about that, but I mean, like, you know, at some point, you know, on sort of larger things that are more complex, she may just totally disagree with me and that's cool. Right. I say that now, you know, I don't know, but like, yes. Yeah. It might not feel cool, but it, it will be cool. Like, as I say that to my husband all the time, like, like neither yeah. one of us are obedient people. Like we're opinionated. We think critically. We're outspoken. We think for ourselves. We do things in a conscious way that feels right for us. And so like, that's the kid, like that's the kid that we're going to have. Like our job is not to raise a kid who's obedient and just does whatever they're told. Like I want to raise a kid who's like, you Mm -hmm. know, safe and functional and healthy in the world. And who's like confident enough to think for herself and challenge authority and speak up for herself and speak up for other people. And yeah like she exactly. learns those like we're her practice <clears throat> like like who's she gonna yeah, practice exactly, on if not exactly. us <laughs> and, and you know the more that that gets shut down and it it does get shut down in all kinds of ways in very very subtle ways right it's like oh just give uncle so-and-so a kiss you know even though it's not what you and your body oh, want gosh, yeah. it's like that's it doesn't matter you are here to make other people happy and so you know and and these very subtle subtle things that happen. And I really believe like, you know, like I said about the toothbrushing, like these small things that are happening now are teaching them so much, right? Like totally so much like that, you know, the body autonomy thing, it's like, nope, like this is where, like, this is where the lesson is that like you're in charge of your body and your body is not yeah for making other people comfortable so like if you want to give a hug you get to give a hug if you don't you don't you don't if you don't want if you want to if you want to snuggle you snuggle if you don't you ask for space if you don't get space I'll help you get space like it's not about like these things can seem so you know making these like little comments of being like well it's just polite it's like that's what breeds that's what starts to like break down the confidence and the boundary setting yeah, that keeps you yeah. safe and confident in the world as an adult. And mm-hmm. we teach them that from like, you know, yeah, a very, yeah. very, very and young In age. ways that we think maybe don't matter, right? And I think that's where it becomes really insidious. And that's where we often, yeah. I think, as parents who, you know, are trying, trying to pay attention to those more subtle things, you know, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of pressure on those sometimes from other people in our, in our lives. And, and uh, you know, that's a, it's, can be, I've found that it's, can be a harder one to, to stay, you know, it's a harder one to navigate sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Because we're so programmed to like, please other people. I had this actually really um, nice experience today because sometimes people, you know, you're trying to teach people like how you want them to interact with your kid in a way that nourishes their, their confidence and their autonomy and their safety in the world. And sometimes mm-hmm. people will take that as a personal mm-hmm. insult, as opposed to you just saying like, I'm, I, it's my job to be the parent and I'm teaching mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. how to do it in like a healthy way for my kid. And it's not like a criticism of you being a bad person. Like mm-hmm. I just need to teach you a different way. Um, I had this like really lovely encounter today where I, I texted a kind of family friend or a friend a picture of my baby eating and the text I got back said 
Whoa, mm. she's so skinny. Are you feeding her? Mm. <laughs> Still cute, though. And I like, mm-hmm. and you know, like she's laughing and making a joke. And like people make these comments like so, mm-hmm. just like without mm-hmm. thinking, right? Like just kind of trying to be funny or cute or whatever. And I said, like I texted back and I said, wow, like the the body comments sure start young. Hey, mm-hmm. like you better start training yourself out of that. <laughs> And then I sent like a little winky face and her response was, Hmm. wow, you're right. Hmm. Like, Hmm. what a good point. And I just thought like, how, you know, like, it's so nice when people hear, like, I'm not saying like, I know, like, I I know you're just being, making like an offhanded remark. So like, there's no, there's no animosity to have, but I do need to say like, that's not the relationship with her body that my kid my one-year-old needs to start having like already her body isn't right um and she really was just like good point like we're so because we're so we're so we just don't Mm -hmm. because we've been talked to that like that so often that sometimes we don't even notice the words that are coming out of your mouth but once you start like if you're open to thinking about like how do the words that are coming out of my mouth like back to those fundamental principles, like how do they connect to instinct, connect to trusting her body, connect to confidence, connect to joy, connect to being capable and strong and powerful. Like, and you, you start to kind of connect, like what is my sentence doing for those things? Then it actually kind of becomes pretty clear. Yeah. What and, to say. and, and I think that's such a beautiful example too, because like I aspire to be that open, right. To be that open to like when people point things out to me, because you know, as, as you say, like where our, our language, our culture is just riddled with these little things that are, you know, seem so subtle and innocuous and are, we're so ingrained in our brains that like, you know, I do those things too. And like, you know, getting gently reminded the way that you did, it's like, sometimes I feel like, you know, defensive and like, I don't want to, and I want, I want to continue to learn and I want to continue to kind of unlearn, I guess, more specifically, like, like all of, all of these things. Right? Yeah. And, and like healing our own relationships with our bodies. Again, like all, it all comes, it all comes back to sort of the colonization of women's bodies and, and birth being at the like s- center of all of that. And it just ripples out to everything, right. To to everything that that we do and totally. and and has such profound impacts on the way that we're the ways that we need to unlearn those things in order to try and set our kids up for something better totally absolutely absolutely <laughs> well i think we did a pretty good job Yay. and we stayed pretty on topic so i think tal will be proud of us <laughs> Oh goodness. <laughs> I think that was our long my longest episode yet. So we could just talk we better do another we better do Oh my gosh, totally. Really I can't even believe role. how quickly the time just flew by there. <laughs> so fun. Okay, well give uh, your family hugs for me and tell them I all love right, them. All right, and love and hugs to all we'll of you. Talk as to well. you guys soon. Thanks for listening to If I'm Not Here to Tell You. I'm Jessica Austin, and talking with me today was Joshua McNabb, a close friend and fellow parent and one of the many incredible aunties to my very loved child. You can find her on Instagram at raising underscore humans with a Z for more of her personal reflections on parenting. You can find me on Instagram at Jessica Austin Childbirth, where I provide lots of free education on birth and related insights and where you can learn about my doula training and prenatal classes. 
If you benefit from the free education I provide and wish to make a contribution to my projects for my daughter, you can find my fundraising campaign in the link in my Instagram bio. No pressure though, it's just there because folks ask for it. As always, I'll finish with my favorite poem, The Piece of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world, and am free. So, rest in the grace of the world, people, and be free. See you next time.